Well, if you have your Bibles, please turn to Psalm chapter number 1. Psalm chapter number 1. This is the Hebrew songbook, and so we're going to read all of Psalm chapter 1. I say all, it's just six verses, but it's page 599 in the old Schofield Reference Bible. And so don't forget the services this Sunday, 9 a.m. for Sunday school, and then 10 a.m. right for the main service. And uh, really excited about the next few weeks of our church. We've got a lot going on. We've got the super summer Sunday evening where we're going to have some fellowship and food right after the service on Sunday night. So it won't be this Sunday night, but next Sunday night. And so right after the service, we can all go out back here behind the building. And um, we'll have a time of fellowship and food and some soda and chips. And so we'll just have a good time. And aren't you glad for our church? Aren't you glad for our preacher and his vision that he has for this church? Uh, I'm excited about it. I'm, I'm glad that after 100 years here at, at, at Woodland, not me personally, but uh, 100 years of this church being in existence, that there's still a fire and there's still a drive to try to reach people. And I'm glad that our preacher, after 22 years of being here, is still going strong and full of zeal and full of uh, vision for the church. So, uh, you know, I consider myself really blessed to, to be here and be a part of this church. People often will ask me, they'll say, how are you enjoying it working here at the church? And here's my typical answer. Probably some of you have heard it. But my reply is, well, you can't ask for anything better. I've got a great church. I've got a great pastor. And I've got the best boss you can ever ask for. I work for a great boss and a wonderful pastor. And all the office staff have been great. I've just, I'm really enjoying it. I feel like I'm a kid in the candy shop just working here, just having a time. And so pray about our friend day coming up, homecoming, anniversary Sunday. Just continue to pray continue to invite. We've been challenged so often late, lately to let's all do our part and to do that together. You know, Brother Baker challenged us a few weeks ago and he said our heart will determine our part. You know, if our heart's in it, if we're praying about it, if we're working towards it, that'll determine our part. So uh, just be praying about that special day. Well, let's look to the scriptures this, morning, this, after, this evening. Good night. I can't figure out what day it is. Uh, but Psalm chapter number 1, and we'll begin reading in verse number 1. It says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sitteth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to bless the remaining 25 minutes or so that we have together. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this time together, Lord. Thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for the challenge that it can be to us, Lord, if we'll just dive into it. And as we seek to do that tonight, God, we pray that you will open it up to our hearts, Lord. May we have attentive ears, Lord, and receptive hearts that will take it in, God, that we will want to go out of here and want to do more for you, Lord. I pray that you bless our time together, bless our church and our pastor. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to ask you the question this evening, how many would really like to be happy, you know, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm talking about happiness according to the Bible, you know, something, it's, it, 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 all of us want it, but really very few achieve it, you know, people will seek it out a variety of different ways, they might seek it out through recreation, they might, 
you know, get themselves a nice boat or they might get themselves a, a camping RV or go on vacation or they might seek it out through hobbies. They might have a, a fancy car or they might have a, a motorcycle or maybe an airplane or a helicopter or they might uh, be wrapped up in their work and they might be wrapped up into making money and making a lot of it or, or wrapped up into working long hours or they might be wrapped up into the next big project at their work. Or maybe they're wrapped up into social outings, you know, maybe going out to eat and spending time with family, spending time with friends, or maybe wrapped up into shopping and heading down to the mall and, or different things, or maybe sports activities, making, maybe taking kids to the sporting activities or, or being involved in a softball league or a basketball league or going down to the gym and working out. You know, and all of these things have their place in life. I'm not saying just because I mentioned them they're bad, but they all have their place, but they don't ultimately give us biblical happiness. Lots of people expect it. They expect to be happy in life. You know, no one ventures out in life and maybe, you know, no one would, you know, decide to get married and say, boy, I just want to have the worst marriage ever. They, they envision a happy marriage. They envision a happy home, a happy life, you know, but uh, very few experience happiness. You know, the U.S. Declaration of Independence, it refers to happiness. You know, here's what it says. It gives us that little phrase. It says, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It doesn't guarantee us happiness, but it, it helps us. It says, hey, we are allowed to have the pursuit of happiness. So it doesn't guarantee happiness, but uh, we are able to try to acquire. You know, most Americans have not found this thing of happiness. You know, the average American does not know what happiness is, nor... Do they really know where to find it? It's stated that one, listen to this, one out of five Americans will visit a psychiatrist sometime this year. Valium is now a leading selling drug. Why? Because people are unhappy. The number two cause of death on our colleges and our university is suicide. Why? Because Americans are not happy. Every 60 seconds in America, someone attempts Suicide. That's staggering. Every 60 seconds. We've been in church since 7 o'clock, so now across the nation, 39 different people have attempted suicide. You know, for the most part, Americans are not happy. They don't know what it is, and they don't know where to find it. You know, the God who made us, He wants us to be genuinely, biblically happy. The Bible says in Psalm chapter number 16 and verse 11, it says, Thou wilt show me the path of life, in thy presence, meaning in God's presence, is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. I'm glad that God wants us to be happy. Psalm 84:11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Aren't you glad we serve a God that's saying, Hey, I don't want to withhold stuff from you. I want to give it to you. And all we have to do is seek it biblically. Psalm 144 and verse number 15, it says, Happy is that people that is in such a case. Yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. We look over at Matthew chapter number 5. If you can turn there. Matthew chapter number 5. And we find a very familiar passage of Scripture. It's called the Beatitudes. And in verse number 3 through verse number 11, nine different times in these nine consecutive verses, we see the word blessed. Blessed simply means 
happy. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of, of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are the meek. Verse number 6, Blessed are they which do hunger. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you. So we see that repetitive phrase, blessed. The Bible says in John 13:17, if ye know these things, happy are ye if you do them. You say, well, Brother Mark, I know the Word of God. I know the Bible. You know, one isn't necessarily happy just because of how much they might know about the Bible. One is happy because of what you do about what you know about the Bible. So it's one thing to know, but it's a whole other thing to do. So we want to look at how can we be genuinely happy? How can we biblically be happy? You know, the more you know and the less you obey, the more guilty you will feel. If you know a lot about the Bible, I mean you know you should walk right, talk right, live right, you know that and you don't do it, the Holy Spirit, if you're saved, is going to tug on your heart and is going to tell you, boy, Brother Mark you, or Mark, you shouldn't do that, or you know you shouldn't do that. And you know what? We will feel more guilty. But the more you know and the more you obey, the more godly you will be. So if we know more and we obey more, we're going to be more godly. Holiness precedes happiness. You know, I, I wonder if the reason why so many Americans are not happy, it's because they're not living a life by the Word of God. They know maybe to do right, or they know they should be in church, or they know they should read their Bible, or they know they should do this or do that, but they don't do it. You know, the Bible says, if ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. You know, happiness is stated 300 times in the Bible, 85 times in just in the book of Psalms. You know, God starts off with Psalms, and He says the word blessed. God starts off this word, He says, hey, happy are you. Go back to Psalm chapter number 1. We'll look at that. That'll be our scripture for tonight. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. You know, I'm no English scholar, but I was doing a little bit of studying on this word blessed. Blessed here simply means it's in the plural tense. God wants you to have much happiness. You know, I like that word much, and I like that word plenty of it. I like being blessed and having a plenty of it. And I think about, when I think of that word plenty, I think back to my Bible college days, and I remember so many of us, several of us guys would get together and uh, we would decide to go out to eat. And one of the, several of the places that we went to, they were called buffets. And boy, did we like going to buffets. There was a place called Hometown Buffet. It's kind of like a Golden Corral out here. And I'm telling you, I mean, us as college guys, you know, you work long hours, you're in class all the time, and I like going there because there was much food. And you know what? I could go back for a second helping and a third helping, and I'd get that fried chicken and the mashed potatoes and, and the wings, you know, with the uh, buffalo sauce all over. I enjoyed that because, hey, I could keep helping myself over and over again. You know what? God is much the same way. You know, I remember we'd go to to hometown buffet. I remember we'd go to some of these um, Korean barbecue places. This was in California. So you had a lot of different ethnic foods. I remember going to the Pizza Hut buffet. And boy, we'd put a hurting on that place. I don't know how they made any money off of us. But I mean, we'd go and, you know, we'd just tell them to keep the pizzas coming. You know, 
college guys, I mean, you're just starving. You eat seven, eight, nine slices of pizza, and, you know, and then go back to the dorms and just go, oh, you know, and wonder, why did we do that? And then the next day we're back at Pizza Hut again, doing it again. But God is the same way. He wants us to have much happiness. You know, in the South we might say a truckload of happiness or a boatload of happiness. You know, God's not in the corner just as a killjoy saying, oh, you know, I saved that person, but I don't want them to be happy. No, God's desire is he wants us to be happy. He wants his children to have happiness all over us. He wants us to have the time of our life as we go through this journey. He wants us to follow his wisdom and leadership. You know, how does one become genuinely happy? I want to give you three basic points tonight on how to be genuinely, biblically happy. Number one, we would find that in verse number one. Number one, we want to avoid sin. Very basic. Avoid sin. You know what? Happy drivers avoid accidents. Happy drivers avoid accidents. You know, when I'm driving down the road and I see a wreck or, or I see something that looks like it could turn into a wreck, you know what I'm trying to do? I'm trying to drive defensively. I'm trying to say, okay, that car doesn't look like they see me and I'm going to kind of inch out in the intersection. I'm going to make sure they see me before I proceed because I don't want to get T-boned or I don't want to get hit. You know what? Happy golfers avoid water. Happy golfers avoid sand. Happy golfers avoid trees. Can I get an amen there, Brother Vic? And uh, Brother Vic's a big golfer. But, you know, that's why I don't golf. Because if there's some water, I'm going to find it. If there's some sand, I'm going to find it. If they could just put a little bit of that water and a little bit of the sand in that little thing called the cup, I'd probably be a whole lot better golfer. But that's why I don't golf. But happy golfers, they avoid water. They avoid sand. You know what? Happy believers avoid sin. Happy believers will stay away from sin. You know what? We cannot sin and win as a Christian. We can't live a life with good sin in our life and a good Savior. It must be a good Savior and hate the sin. We must stay away from the sin. The Bible says there in verse number 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. So we need to avoid sin. Letter A, we need to avoid sinful counsel. We need to avoid sinful counsel. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 14 and verse number 7, Go from the presence of a foolish man when thou perceivest not in him the lips of knowledge. Go from the presence of a foolish man. When we get around somebody that's not walking with the Lord and we hear something said, do we, do we flee? Do we kind of just exit ourselves from that conversation? Proverbs 19 and verse 27, Cease, my son, to hear the instruction that causeth to err from the words of knowledge. Solomon's saying, he says, Hey, my son, cease to hear the instruction that causeth to err from the words of knowledge. You know what I want to say to myself, I want to say to every teenager, every child, every adult, let's avoid sinful counsel. Let's stop listening to unwise counsel. You say, well, Brother Mark, where would I find unwise counsel. Numerous places. I'm glad you asked. We can find it in TV. We can find it on the radio. We can find it on the, the internet. We can find it just all over in the books we read. If we're not careful, we need to stop listening to unwise counsel. You know what? We cannot suck in or breathe in or take in the sewage of society and be biblically happy. It's not possible. We're not going to be able to take in the counsel of the world and be happy. It just won't 
happen. You say, I'll watch and, and uh, what I want and listen to what I want. That's completely true. You can do that, but you won't be happy. You can take in the world, but you won't have biblical happiness. You say, I'll get excited. I'll have a thrill. You know what? A person can jump from a hundred-story building and have a thrill. But you know what? It's the sudden stop that's going to ruin the whole trip. You can do as you wish, but you'll never be blessed unless you avoid sinful counsel. You know, parents, summertime is here. You know, our children, teenagers, they've got a lot more idle time. Let me ask you, parents, do you know what your kids are watching and listening to? Do you know what's on their tablets? Do you know what's on their TV? Do you know what's on their iPad or their iPod or, or Googled Android tablet? Do you know what's on there? We need to help them choose what they watch. We need to help them choose what they listen to. We need to, 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 to watch what counsel they are taking in. You say, oh, well, that's just music or that's just a movie. Well, they're being influenced by it, believe it or not. They are being influenced. We need to help them choose wisdom instead of the corruption of the world. So we need to avoid sin. Letter A, we need to avoid sinful counsel. And then letter B, we need to avoid sinful companions. Look at verse number 1. It says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners. You know, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't love sinners. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't um, be around those that are saved because, I mean, unsaved. It, you know, a lot, a lot of times we think of separation and we're going to be separate from the world. We're going to isolate ourselves from the world. That's not what it's speaking about. It's speaking about are you a companion with those that are just lifting up evil and doing wrong. Jesus was called the friend of sinners. Jesus never taught us to avoid having any contact with the unsaved. You know, it shouldn't be just our church family and that's it. And no one else, you know, I can't, I can't talk to anybody because, you know, I just don't want them to influence me. And yes, we do have to be separate from the world, but we're going to have to rub shoulders with this world. We're going to have to go to the workplace. We're going to have to, you know, live next to them and be, and be there. But it doesn't mean we have to, to go out and hang out with them for the 4th of July party or, or for the get-together. It doesn't mean we have to go around and, and watch a football game with them while they're drinking their beer and drinking their alcohol. Yes, we need to have a heart for the lost. But this passage is talking about those that stand with the sinful. They are going that direction. So we need to avoid sinful companions. You know, we've heard it before. If you tell me who your friends are, you know what you're doing? You are revealing your future. You know, back when I was a youth pastor, I remember seeing kids that would get around a certain, certain somebody, and I'd think, oh boy, it won't be long, and that, they're going to be affected in a wrong way. And I can, you can just see that over time, and they get affected by it. And you know, you tell me who your friends are, and you, re, you are revealing your future. That doesn't go just for the children. That doesn't go just for the teenagers. But that goes for us adults also. If we, we, we need to be careful who we hang around. Psalm 119 and verse 63, it's, it says, I am a companion of all them that fear thee and of them that keep thy precepts. Hey, this psalmist was saying, hey, I'm a friend to all those that fear thee. I want that to be my testimony. I want it to be that those that I hang around are the ones that fear God. Those are the ones that uh, follow God. You know, I want to be a companion of those that walk with God. The word companion just simply means to be interwoven with. It's kind of like weaving a fabric. You know, here's how to choose our friends. Here's how we can do it. Number one, do they ask yourself, if you are considering a friend, if you're thinking about maybe who your teenager is um, hanging around or your child, ask yourself these two questions. Number one, 
Do they fear God? Does that friend fear God? Are they in church? Are they serving the Lord? Do they have a, a desire to serve the Lord? Do they, and then number two, do they follow God? Do they follow God? You know, if someone's using profanity and committing other sins, you know, they don't necessarily fear God. Or maybe if, if you have somebody that's maybe trying to be a friend to your child or to your teenager or to even you and they, they want nothing to do with church, I would venture to say they don't fear God and they don't follow God. You tell me your friends and I'll tell you your future. You know, there was a preacher one time I was listening to an illustration. There was a preacher that was getting ready to, he was an evangelist and he was getting ready to go to a distant state. And one of, one of his preacher friends had happened to hear that he was going to this distant state to go preach. And so the preacher called up this other preacher and said, Hey, I hear you're going to such and such a state. And he said, Yes, that's correct. He said, Hey, did you hear that my boy is in prison? And the preacher said to the other preacher, Yeah, I heard that. He said, Well, I guess I heard, I heard, you heard what he did. The preacher said, Yeah, I heard. And this, this particular young man, he had gotten drunk one night and ended up killing a young lady. And so the, preach, the, the, the preacher said about his boy, he said, Will you go visit my son in prison? And the preacher said, Sure, I won't be too far from there. I'll go visit him. And so he went to that prison, and you know how prison goes. This boy was on death row, and it's not a pretty sight. You know, you don't get to do your hair just any which way. You can't spike it and do all that and have colored hair and all that. I mean, it's death row. You're, you're, you're tied to a chain and a ball and all that. And so the preacher went there, and on the other side of the plexiglass, this boy came up, and he was in his ball and chain. And uh, the preacher sat down with him. He said, now, son, he said, tell me, what happened? He said, he, he, he started talking, and, and prior to him giving this illustration, the boy said, you know, I know I'm saved. I know I shouldn't have done this. And the preacher got concerned. He said, he said son, how did you end up here? And here are the first two words out of his mouth. He said, he said my friends. You know what? His friends took him to jail. His friends led him down that path. Oh, yes, he ultimately made that decision himself. But the first two words out of his mouth was, my friends. And I want to encourage every child, every teenager, every adult, may we watch who our friends are. You tell me who your friends are, I'll tell you your future. So we need to avoid sinful companions. And then let her see, avoid sinful criticisms. Avoid sinful criticism. You know, there's a crowd that will just mock and scorn. The Bible says in verse number one, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. No, I don't want to sit there. I don't want to sit where there's a scorner. You know, the word scorn just simply means to mock with a mouth. And have you ever been around somebody that will scorn, that will mock the things of God? I'm sure you probably have maybe some that you work with or maybe a neighbor or somebody, but we need to avoid sinful criticisms. The Bible says in Proverbs 14 and verse 9, it says, Fools make a mock at sin, but among the righteous there, are, there is favor. You know what? The TV nowadays, it mocks the things of God. It mocks holy matrimony. It mocks, uh, it downplays marriage. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews 13, 4, it says, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. You know what? Our TVs can be a cesspool if we allow it. It, it will mock holy things. It will downplay marriage. It will exalt immorality. It will exalt same-sex marriages and just do all this. You know, we need to avoid sinful criticisms. I want to ask you, I want to ask myself, what are we watching? What are we taking in? First, we are to avoid sin 
then we are to avoid uh, next. Number two, we are to absorb Scripture. You say, how am I going to be happy? If you are going to be happy, we're going to have to avoid sin. But if we're going to avoid sin, that would be pushing away the bad. But we have to take in the good. We've got to absorb Scripture. The Bible says in verse number 2 of Psalm 1, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. You know what? No book compares to the Word of God. You know what? Books were written for our education, but the Bible was written for our transformation. You know what? All these books, there's textbooks out there, hundreds and thousands of them. They were written that we might learn, that we might get head knowledge. But the Bible was written for our heart knowledge, that we might be transformed by the Word of God. This book stands alone. You know, the couple things about the Word of God is, number one, it is infallible. It is infallible. There are no errors. It's inerrant. It's indestructible. You know, there was a, a, a Voltaire, there, he was a French infidel years and years ago, about 200 years ago, 250 years ago. And you, here's what he said about the Word of God. His, his desire was to see the Bible disappear and, he, and to become void and of none effect and not be around. Voltaire said, I want in 50 years after my death, I want the Bible to be extinct. How many of you have your Bible with you this, morning, this, this evening? Lift up the Word of God. You've got your Bible? That's lie number one by Voltaire. Voltaire said after a hundred years, he said, I don't want there to be any more Christians on the earth. How many are saved and know Jesus Christ as Savior tonight? That would be lie number two from Voltaire. And you know what? The Word of God is indestructible. We can't, no one can destroy it. It's just going to keep going and going. And here's the, the silver lining in the story. Voltaire died, and in 50 years after he died, you know what happened? The Geneva Bible Society took possession and actually bought his house and ended up storing Bibles in his house. You know, we can't destroy the Bible. It's inerrant. It's infallible. It's indestructible. Now let me ask you, and buckle up, because this is convicting to me, and hopefully it will hit you. Let me ask you, is it indispensable? You say, into what? Is it indispensable? Is it absolutely necessary in your life and in my life? Do, is this Word of God that we hold so dear, that we say is inerrant, that we say is inspired by God, God breathed it, that we say is indestructible, that we say is inerrant, this, this fabulous book, is it indispensable? Is it absolutely necessary in our life? You know, let's have 100% transparency tonight. You know, I, I think every one of us, if I were to ask for a raise of hand, you'd say, Brother Mark, there has been one time or two times or several times where I've missed reading the Word of God. You know, and I'm not so concerned. We don't need to be so concerned about somebody missing one day of Bible reading. But you know what we do need to be concerned about? Is are, were you missing the fact that you missed the Word of God? Were you concerned that, hey, something came up and I didn't make it a priority to get to the Word of God? That's what we need to be concerned about. You know what? The Word of God exposes us. We need to absorb ourselves with Scripture. Is it indispensable? Two questions about the Bible tonight. Do you have a daily time to read the Word of God? You know, we all miss, but do you have a daily time? Do you have a place? Do you have a time that is your habit? I'm not saying do you do it every single day, 365 days out of, the week, out of the year. We should, but do you have a time? Do you have a place where you read the Word of God? Do we meditate on the Word of God? I didn't say vegetate. You know, sometimes I can be guilty of that. You know, we're doing our Bible reading through in a year, and 
I'm on schedule, and sometimes if I'm not careful, I can be reading, and I'm just kind of vegging out, you know. My mind's on a hundred different places, and sometimes I think, what in the world did I just read? And then I've got to go back and read it again. We've all been there, right? We've vegged out before. But we need to meditate on the Word of God. We're speaking about biblical happiness. You know, if we're going to get out of the world, we need to get into the Word of God. If we are going to avoid sin, we need to absor absorb Scripture. The Bible says in Joshua 1.8, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. You know, in the Word of God, we only see the word success used one time in the Word of God. And you know what it's tied to? It's directly correlated to the Word of God. If we're going to be biblically happy, if we're going to have success in our life, we've got to be in the Word of God. So number one, we said we have to avoid sin. Number two, we said we have to absorb Scripture. And then if you do those two, here's what the Bible says. It says we will achieve success. We just read that verse about if we'll meditate in the Word of God, we'll have success. Look at verse number three in Psalms. It says, And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Boy, that, I don't know the meaning of all that, but I know it sounds good. I know when it says, hey, you'll bring forth fruit in the season. I know his leaf shall not wither. Boy, I don't want to wither up. Then it says, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. I want everything that I touch to prosper. I'm not talking about making money and being a success in the world's eyes, but just making my ministry fruitful and, and serving our pastor and serving our Lord here at Woodland Baptist Church. I want to be prosper in the, in, prosperous in those areas. You know what? We'll be planted. This idea is, being, is like being transplanted. We're not a struggling little tree, but we have our roots way down deep in the soil. You know what? The water of the Word will nourish us. You know, if we're going to ach achieve success, we've got to avoid sin. We've got to absorb the Scripture and then we will achieve success. You know what? I want to be a fruit-bearing Christian. I want to bring about fruit. And we can do a whole study on that. But fruit could be, you know, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, meekness, all that. But fruit can also be souls. You know, the Bible says that he that winneth souls is wise. You know, do we have the fruit of the Spirit? You know what the byproduct of happiness is? You say, well, if I'm going to be happy... What is that going to get me? Obviously, you'll be satisfied. But here's a byproduct of biblical happiness. It's being useful in God's eyes. Are you useful? I didn't say the word used, but I said the word useful. You know, there's satisfaction in knowing that, hey, there's satisfaction to you bus workers on a Sunday afternoon when you head down the, the road and you're dead dog tired and it was 110 degrees on that bus. There's satisfaction knowing, hey, I had a part to bring boys and girls to Christ. You know, there's satisfaction to a Sunday school teacher who prepared a lesson and came to church and gave it their all and taught that Sunday school lesson. You head down the road and you thought, you thought to yourself, boy, God used me. You're not proudful about it. You're not arrogant. You're just glad that God was able to use you. Aren't you glad that God can just use basic people like you, basic people like me, to do about a supernatural work? I mean, isn't it amazing to... to 
to have a church service and people walk forward and they're crying and they feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit and they get saved, boy, that's supernatural. That's something beyond our power to think that God can work in such a way and use us. You know what? There's nothing more than maybe somebody feeling useful. There's nothing more like a mother who might feel uh, unimportant and then all of a sudden that child will say, Mom, thank you for the good meal tonight or thank you for this or thank you for that. You know what? We all like to feel useful. Maybe a man on his job and he seems like he's just having a time. He feels like he's productive and he feels like he's part of the team. Why? Because he wants to feel like he's useful. You know what? In God's work, I want to feel useful. And if we're going to be useful, we're going to have to be Christians that avoid sin, that absorb the Scripture and stay close to the Lord. So that's how we can achieve success. May I challenge you tonight you know, to, to avoid sin, to absorb Scripture, and then achieve success. You know what the world is? The world is completely opposite. You know what they do? They absorb sin. They take in just as much sin as they want. They party. They do this and they do that. That's the world. You know what they do with Scripture? They avoid Scripture. And you know why? They don't have success. They don't have biblical success. And so I want to challenge you. I want to challenge myself. Do we avoid sin? Do we absorb Scripture? And then if we do those two things, we will achieve success. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed.